Welcome to How's the Market, a podcast from your friends here at Keeping Current Matters. Today, we have a treat. We get to sit down with Odetta Cushy. She is the Deputy Chief Economist at First American. And, and I would say this, when we started the podcast, I thought about Odetta. She does such a good job of taking the economic piece of housing and making it easy to understand. It's it's what we do at KCM, and certainly we rely on her and First American uh, to do that well. So here's here are a couple things we're going to talk about. First of all, inflation. What impacts it and where we're heading based on where we are right now? Second, we're going to cover the supply and demand issue. Odetta's going to give you a lot of really the economics behind supply and demand, and we're going to finish and talk about builders and baby boomers in the trends in this country. You're going to enjoy it, so let's hop in. Odetta, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for making time to join today. Well, thanks for having me, David. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. You know, when I think about what we do at Keeping Current Matters, How's the Market podcast, um, I have been looking forward to having you on uh, since we started because you are um, somebody in the industry, certainly who has devoted their life to, uh, you know, real estate and homeownership and the economic aspects of that. And you're able to explain it in a way that folks can understand it. And well, that thanks. is a that is a unique gift. Thanks for saying that. I mean, that's that's the goal, right? Is to take a lot of these sometimes complicated economic concepts and complicated data analysis and and make it understandable uh, to the general public. So I'm glad to hear it. Well, we are grateful for all the work that you do. You know, we quote uh, you and Mark and First American all the time, uh, keeping current matters. So thank you for that. And. I guess the place that I I would just love to to start and have a conversation, you know, uh, folks listening to this, maybe they're uh, an agent right now, a loan officer, somebody in the title business, somebody working with people that are thinking about buying and selling homes. And we've come out of a couple of years that have been, you know, we've called them kind of the unicorn years here at Keeping Current Matters. You know, they've been very, very um, uh, different years than than in past and in, in our business. And now, the market has shifted over the last year. Um, and where do you see the real estate business as we sit right now? You know, we've come through the summer. We're here in the fall. Um, where do you see things as, as we've kind of made this shift? So you mentioned the last two years. You know, there's a concept in, in economics known as anchoring bias, right, where we anchor our expectations to the the most recent experience. And so the market of the last two years was, you know, the exception, not the rule. Uh, more than 20% annual house price growth certainly isn't sustainable in the long run. You know, multiple offer bidding wars, uh, a very, very hot market is not necessarily the normal, um, nor what we should be aiming for, right? That was uh, an unprecedented market. But I think we're certainly in a period of transition right now. Uh, 7% mortgage rates, not new, right? Historically, right. mortgage rates have averaged between 7 to 8%. So it's not that the mortgage rate environment is abnormal. It's that we went from 3% to 7% very, very quickly and did not allow uh, house prices to adjust to that new reality. And so we, we happen to be in an environment of 7% mortgage rates and still very high house prices. And of course, those 3% mortgage rates, you know, more than 90% of home buyers locked into 3%, you know, 
four percent mortgage rates, and they're just they're just sitting tight right now. I I do anticipate that the market will adjust to the new reality, um, but but we're sort of still in that that period of transition right now where existing homeowners are hesitant to sell. Uh, prospective buyers, many of them still on the sidelines, still very much interested in homeownership, uh, but either you know priced out right now or or sort of uncertain about the economic environment. Sure, sure. I think the the fact of you know the 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 quick rise in mortgage rates and sort of the shock there. You talked about people uh, getting used to that. I, I think consumers. It feels like, and I'd be interested if there's research to. Um, back this up that that I think on some level are realizing that is the new normal, like th- two and three quarters or three percent on a thirty year fixed, not the normal. And, and folks sort of psychologically going, okay, I understand that's what it's going to cost to finance a house today. Is there any research to support that consumers are, you know, getting used to that? Well, I think you're seeing it a little bit in in the data. You know, we saw sort of the steep drop off in in sales. We saw a lot of the um, the instant reaction to to increasing mortgage rates last year, and now we're sort of settling settling at a low point. But you're not having um, those same sort of reactions to uh, to increases in in mortgage rates. I sort of see it as the stages of grief, right? So there's right. like denial when we first saw mortgage rates go from three percent to four, and then five, and then six. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we've, we're sort of in the acceptance phase right now. Um, that's That doesn't make it any easier for, for prospective buyers, particularly in a market where there are such few homes for sale that we're still seeing multiple offers on, on homes right. that, that are being listed in today's market, which is really keeping a floor on how low prices can go, right? Because in, in economics, you would think you have this, this affordability shock through higher mortgage rates. You should see prices adjust downward to to those higher mortgage rates, but in in our market, we're particularly unique because the buyer is also the seller, and the right. seller says, "Well, I'm not I'm not going to sell my home that I locked into three percent just to buy another home at seven percent." Um, and certainly, there are exceptions to that sort of financial reality, and we can get into all of that because buying a home is not just a financial decision, as you well know. Um, right. but, but that calculation is playing into the decision-making today. Sure, sure. Uh, over the last 12 months, I think you've talked about this, First American certainly has, of housing being sort of month by month in and out of a housing recession. Right. Can you break that down? Is there a technical definition of a housing recession um, and if there is, what is that? And and then where are we in that journey of housing recession? Yeah, that's a great question. So what prompted us to even come up with this is that there really is no technical definition to a housing recession. You can sort of feel it, right? I mean, right. a lot of a lot of uh, industry people were were throwing around the term housing recession last year um, because it certainly felt like we were in one, but there was no formal definition. And so, what our team decided to do is to piggyback on the definition uh, of a, of a general recession, an economic recession, and the committee that calls those recessions is called the NBER BCDC, uh, not a band, uh, and it's <laughs> an economic committee that looks at many different measures to determine whether we're in a recession. And in particular, they look at these eight 
uh, distinct economic measures. And so we decided to sort of figure out what the housing equivalent of each one of those eight economic measures were. So we include, you know, existing home sales. We include the number of employees in real estate. We include affordability measure in there. And when we came up with this composite measure, uh, we found that the housing market was technically in a recession from May of last year to November of last year. And then there was a little bit of a pause as mortgage rates started to sort of come down from those, those highs of last year. Builders started to build again. We started to see a little bit of that seasonal pickup, a little bit of the seasonal pickup this year. And then mortgage rates started to reaccelerate this year, uh, which dipped us back into a, a housing recession. This isn't unprecedented. We've had these sort of double dip recessions before, uh, according to to this measure that we've created. In fact, the, the global financial crisis was one instance where we saw our measure sort of pause and then jump back into a recession. And in that instance, it was a similar catalyst, which is mortgage rates sort of started to come down, prompted some more activity, um, and then you know, uh, and then went the other way. And so. Uh, it's, it's a testament to how interest rate sensitive buyers and sellers are in this market. Uh, and, and so I think once we get some more stabilization in rates, which I do expect if inflation continues to come down, uh, that, that we'll start to see that, that pickup in activity as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I want to get to the, to the rate piece. Where do we, where do we stand right now relative to that index? So we're we're currently in August, still sort of in that in that recessionary period, uh, because rates have uh, have have remained quite high. Um, but right. going forward, uh, you know, when when rates stabilize, I think that we'll we'll probably start to see that measure uh, inch back into a, a more normal uh, range. Yeah, are you when you talk about interest rates and your perspective on it? Are you surprised by? Um, the path that interest rates have taken. And let me clarify my position on that. We've seen inflation come down, certainly not at the Fed's target, but we haven't seen the complementary, you know, uh, fall in in the average 30-year fixed. And it feels maybe disconnected, at least to me. You could say certainly from an economic perspective, it's not. And here's how I would look at that. But what's your what's your are you surprised by that? Were you looking at that going, hey, this is interesting. What, what's the, you know, what's the gap there between the lag and inflation coming down and starting to see the, the effect of that in, in mortgage rates? You know, the inflation has been coming down slowly but surely, but we've, we've also been getting all of these economic reports that show uh, that the U.S. economy has been resilient even in the face of, of higher federal funds rate. And so I think what it will take is a sustained period of inflation being close to the Fed's 2% target uh, so that the markets, you know, uh, sort of think, okay, the Fed's done, right? Like we are right. done with this tightening cycle. And they certainly uh, are talking like we yes. might be done or maybe we are, but hold on. <laughs> they they want to avoid, uh, you know, the 1970s period of a, an inflation resurgence. And so I think the Fed wants to make sure that inflation is dead and buried uh, and so they'll err on the side of caution, and they're willing to sacrifice the labor market to get to that inflation target. And that's exactly what we're starting to see. But they right. are hoping to architect what they keep referring to as the soft landing, right? Right. Um, and this it's this Goldilocks situation where we can 
temper inflation, get it back down to that 2% target without throwing the economy into a recession. And you know, so far, so good. We've, we've gotten all this labor market data uh, that shows we're slowing the labor market, but we're slowing the labor market through fewer job openings. In other words, firms are you know closing open recs rather than through more layoffs. And so that's one way that we can achieve this soft landing is by slowing the labor market through fewer job openings rather than more layoffs. And like I said, so far, so good. I know there are pockets of the labor market, certainly in our industry, that's very interest rate sec- uh, sensitive, that's experienced sort of the brunt of, of a lot of the labor market decline. But in general, when we when we zoom out, the labor market remains quite healthy. Uh, and in fact, there's still an imbalance in uh, labor demand versus labor supply, which is keeping right. some upward pressure on wages. Yeah, it's. I appreciate you saying that, um, you know, the Fed is kind of saying, hey, we, we might be done. It's almost like the, the policy talk, the the synchronized swimming of, of those that are out there talking on behalf of the Fed to say, hey, things look good, but, you, you know, we might not be done. So you, you mentioned a, they want to see a sustained period. What is – is that like two months? Is that six months? Is that a, What is a sustained period that they want to see to say, hey, we think we have this fairly under control? I think so. At this point, the data, they're, they're very data dependent. So they're looking at every incoming piece of information, labor market data, economic data to make sure that the economy is slowing appropriately. The long and variable lags of monetary policy are making their way through the economy. Uh, and that when we get to, we, there's no signs of a wage price spiral, which is, of course, the Fed's primary fear. And so they're looking at wages, making sure there's a sustained deceleration in wage growth making sure that inflation measures are coming down. Uh, We know that a big chunk of more than 30% of that CPI, the Consumer Price Index measure, is shelter inflation, right? It's it's our industry. And shelter inflation is measured with a lag in that CPI by about a year. So we know that rents have come down. That shelter component of the CPI is mostly composed of of rent. We know that real-time observed rents are coming down. Uh, And that's not quite yet reflected in that shelter component of the CPI. And so that we know will drag the overall inflation number lower in the months to come and into 2024. But like I said, the Fed really wants to make sure that uh, inflation is is gone. (laughs) And I think they'll keep rates, you know, even if they don't increase rates, I think they'll probably keep rates uh, at a high level for, for some time before they cut. Yeah, it's it's interesting to to think about that. The question that I've always had, I would um, love to hear your perspective on it from an economic perspective, is where on the list when the Fed is looking at things at housing? Because I I feel like it's over what we've come out of where we started talking just a few minutes ago. The last two years, it's number one. I don't know if that's true, but I felt like, you know what, they're looking at housing because housing has such an economic impact in this country, significant economic impact. And the last thing they want is to see, you know, a resurgence of the, you know, sort of the fire to to, to take off and, uh, and, and cause what we saw over the last couple of years. And I think if we're honest – we have to realize that our business and housing in in a market that 
from an appreciation standpoint was unhealthy contributed to a lot of that inflation. So what's would you agree with that? Is is housing do you think they're like, okay, we're really looking at housing right now and making sure that's, you know, in check? I think so. I think that shelter is is a primary focus for the Federal Reserve because we are so interest rate sensitive as a sector. There's a, a couple of, of interesting nuanced points about that. We're not as interest rate sensitive as other countries because the 30-year fixed rate mortgage is an inflation hedge. So right. when the Fed increases interest rates, most of us, right, 66% is the, the homeownership rate in the U.S. Most of those folks are locked into 30-year fixed rate mortgages, and, and a big chunk of them are locked into very low 30-year fixed rate mortgages. And so everything around us is getting more expensive, but our shelter costs are fixed. And so the Fed is trying to impact shelter, but can't really impact 66% of us, right? Because we're all locked in. Whereas in other countries that uh, have adjustable rate mortgages, they're seeing the impact of higher interest rates uh, really flow through the economy a little bit quicker. Not not quite so in the US, but of course, for, for construction workers, for example, there is this this sort of irony of well the fed is is trying to get the housing market to be more balanced but in do, in increasing interest rates is sort of causing builders to pull back and as we know what we need to to create a more balanced market is more homes we need more supply right. to meet demand and so higher interest rates almost have this uh detrimental effect in the long run to solving uh, the, the housing issue, which is we don't have enough homes to meet all the demand in this country. Right. What's your perspective on that point right there? Because I want to talk about affordability in, in just a minute, but what fixes that issue of undersupply? I mean, certainly we could say builders need to build more and we need more units, but it's pretty clear depending on who you look at, the undersupply in this country is significant to the tune of millions. I'd love to hear first Americans perspective on that, but also um, what solves that? Because it's not something overnight that gets solved. No, and, and there's no silver bullet solution, I think, to to the supply shortage in this country. Uh, you know, certainly everyone has their their estimate, but to your point, it's 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 a large it's a large gap between supply and demand. We're currently in a demographic period where the largest living generation, the millennial generation, continues to age into their prime home buying years. They're doing a little bit later than their generational predecessors, uh, but nevertheless, they're they're in their early 30s and they're starting to get married and have kids and and you know think about buying that first home. And so we have this massive generational wave. And not enough homes to meet that that demand, and certainly not in the places where people want to live. And I think that that's a nuanced point, right? Uh, we don't have as many homes where we see that there's uh, net in migration, where we have people where people want to live. And building more homes is uh, right now the the way to do that. And there's a lot of regulatory hurdles to building more homes. There's a lot of political pushback to building more homes. Um, right. you know, there's this uh, advocacy for light touch density, being able to build, uh, you know, duplexes and triplexes and attach single family homes to be able to build uh, more in 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 places where people want to live. Um, and I think we can do a whole other episode on the hurdles to to doing that. But I but I think addressing those issues at the local level, the state level, the national level, right. um, is is really key here, making it easier for builders to to meet all of this demand. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, 
It's interesting, you know, at the, you mentioned local and state level. Typically in our business, legislation has been geared towards demand generation. So you, know, you think about first-time home buyer credits and things like that. It feels like the shift there would be that legislation and and everything being targeted targeted more towards inventory and, and creation uh, of, of more homes versus demand-driven. Is that a fair assumption? Absolutely. And the intent is good. You know, providing down payment assistance, the intent is good. But if there aren't enough homes to buy, really what you're doing is, is, is right. causing house price appreciation to go up. The demand side is already very high. You're adding more to it, but there just isn't enough supply to meet it. And so that's a recipe for house price uh, acceleration. And so uh, what we really need is the sustainable solution is to build more homes um, and and sort of bringing more balance to the supply and demand equation, which should allow uh, a natural moderation of, of prices. So it's certainly, I think the supply side is where we need to, to keep our attention. The best agents know what's happening nationally and also know what's going on in their local market. At Keeping Current Matters, we help real estate agents become experts. And now, we've added something that will change the way you communicate. KCM Local. With KCM Local, you'll now have access to local data, national insights, and powerful visuals, all in one place. To be the local expert, visit KeepingCurrentMatters.com. Let's maybe shift gears for just a minute. You talked about affordability, right? Okay. With the, with the the rise in interest rates over the past year, it's had an impact on affordability. You've done extensive work on affordability. Um, I, I think the question on folks' minds is, you know, there's there's been this term that's floated around the business, you know, like marry the house, date the rate, or you know, if you find something, certainly you've got to qualify for it. And you need to be able to afford it, and all those things, but. What's the outlook right now for affordability and, and you, you know, where we are today, but where we're heading, like, you know, coming out of the last couple of years um, with home prices going up, now mortgage rates going up, wages rising as well, but not not keeping pace. That's so we look at affordability in, in a way that's slightly different from the industry. Typically, you know, people look at payment to income ratios to measure affordability, but uh, our team thought, well, there's a key element missing there, and that's incorporating mortgage rates. Um, when mm-hmm. mortgage rates are very low, you get a boost in purchasing power. But when mortgage rates are high, all things held equal, uh, you know, affordability declines. And so we have this measure called the Real House Price Index, which adjusts nominal house prices by income and mortgage rates. And it's showing uh, in, in the latest report that affordability is is you know at, at one of the lowest points in in measured history right now because of the reasons that you mentioned mortgage rates in recent months have have uh, increased uh, house prices have reaccelerated right um, we we've seen that house prices were coming down and now have sort of turned a corner and and are reaccelerating nationally of course there are. Uh, nuances and, and differences when we start to get down to um, various regions of the U.S. But, you know, house prices are going up, mortgage rates are going up, incomes are going up, but not enough to outpace the impact from higher prices and higher mortgage rates. And so affordability is is a headwind right now for potential first-time homebuyers. We also know that first-time homebuyers often don't have uh, the the 
the money from the sale of an existing home to bring to the closing table. Right. And so um, they're they're in a, a more difficult position than than an existing home buyer. And so affordability is is a major headwind right now. But going forward, you know, and there are markets that are more affordable, right? That's that's also sure. the, the the nuanced point here. When we look across the U.S., uh, we have a renter affordability index, which shows what can the median renter buy in various markets. Uh, California markets, not so it's affordable, right? right? That median renter can afford less than 5% of homes for sale in those markets. But then there's markets like Pittsburgh, where the median renter can afford more than 50% of homes for sale in that market. And so... Uh, there are variations around the country, but I think certainly at, a, at an aggregate national scale, affordability is is very sure. challenging right now. Right. As you look at the the outlook, and let's talk about the next six to twelve months. I think it's fair to say, in what the you know sort of consensus is, and, and check me on this, that wages continue to rise. An outlook of that, maybe not at the fast pace of the last sure. couple of years. Home prices um, rise, but at a very normalized rate, and you know m- maybe flatter home price growth. That's right. Um, and mortgage rates are on the way down. Now it's a question of time and how quickly and all of those factors, but that bodes well for affordability. To the I, I don't know if there's a perspective that you would have on um, how well that bodes, but. I think the outlook, my perception is that those factors contribute positively to affordability across the country as we go forward. Is that, is that a fair thought? That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, based on industry consensus on where mortgage rates are heading, house prices are heading, uh, and, and incomes are heading, I think you're right. In in the longer run, it does bode well for affordability. And there's another piece to that, which is uh, supply. Builders have been picking up the pace in construction, both single family and multifamily, there's a lot of homes under construction. And when those units come to market, that should put some some downward pressure on on prices. And yeah. and so that should help the affordability equation as well. It seems to in this market that builders are winning in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like they're able to build, they're able to offer incentives. A lot of times on a mortgage rate, they're able to offer a buy down or something similar like that to make the um, uh, you know purchase and, and the the payment much more palatable, um, but but it certainly seems like builders are winning right. That's now. right. I mean, historically, ninety percent of inventory of homes for sale in this country was existing homes. Inventory of existing homes that's down to seventy percent, which means that builders went from having ten percent inventory share to thirty percent inventory share. A part of that is because existing homeowners just aren't selling. And part of that is because builders have been working away, building more homes. Um, and, and so inventory has has picked up of, of new homes. Of course, to your point, the incentives of selling, totally different if you're a homeowner who can just sit tight and, and sort of, uh, you know, if you're happy in your home, you just wait it out and you don't sell. Uh, whereas right. a builder needs to offload that inventory. And so they'll do what they can to offload that inventory. And to your point, they're offering quality features on homes, you know, state-of-the-art refrigerators. And, and uh, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll lower the price or doing rate buy-downs. I was just reading this morning that, you know, the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, according to Freddie Mac, is uh, just over 7%, whereas a, a big builder was offering 45 
Right, uh, right. So that's a pretty big difference and I'm sure sweetens the deal for a potential home buyer. Yeah, I think the, you know, for folks that are listening and what we've talked about at KCM is working in the business every day, helping people understand what are the vehicles to um, improve affordability, you know, whether it be a buy down on a mortgage rate or an adjustable, if that's right in the outlook of where somebody's buying and the length of time they're, they're going to buy for. So, so I think builders have that card to play, you know, and, and are playing it very well. Um, you talked about the, the enormous number of people across the country that have a favorable interest rate right now. Um, and one to the degree I I've said many, many times, there is a huge contingent of people that have a mortgage rate that they couldn't go out and rent an apartment for. Like they, they have a they have a great mortgage rate. There's also a tremendous amount of equity in homes across the country. And I think coming out of the last two years, one of the things that is interesting about our business is that those are two things that we don't know the long-term impact they will have. I think we're starting to see it, but what is you, you certainly rate lock is is a topic that you've talked about a lot, but where do you see those things kind of playing out over the next year? Um, the impact they'll have in the business. I always thought that the tremendous amount of equity in people's homes, people will put that to work, whether they start a business or send a child to school or something else. What's what's your perspective on that? So we talk a lot about the rate lock-in effect. And and one thing that I think we, we can be louder about is some of the mitigating factors to that rate lock-in effect. And one of those is equity, right? If you mm-hmm. have enough equity in your home, even if you're rate locked in, you can bring some of that equity, uh, offer a higher down payment that can sort of offset some of the impact from the higher mortgage rates, right? And so the fact that we are near record levels of equity down from the peak a little bit at, at an aggregate level, but still very, very high historical uh, levels of equity, that means that that's sort of a mitigating factor to this rate lock-in effect, especially if you're moving to a more affordable place, right? If right. you're moving from, I'm sitting in Washington, D.C., if you're moving from Washington, D.C. to, you know, Rochester, New York, where where my parents are, that that would certainly um, that would certainly help if you're sitting on, on a ton of equity. Uh, right. We also uh, often uh, forget that 42% of, of, of owned homes in the U.S. are owned free and clear. They don't have a mortgage on that property, and that that share typically surprises people. But it's it's quite a high number. Now, most of those, uh, those free and clear homeowners are older homeowners, uh, mostly baby boomers, bought their home a long time ago, sitting on a lot of equity. And so when they decide to sell will probably be a bit of a, you know, it'll be a slow influx of, of those baby boomers selling that home. But that's another mitigating factor of uh, a, to the to the rate lock in effect. You know, we talk a lot about demographics when we when we talk about housing and we have this wave of millennials right now, but we'll also right. have baby boomers starting to age out of homeownership. We don't know exactly when because older generations are not behaving as previous generations because we simply they're they can age age in their homes right their their home suits their needs we have all of this uh technological advancements that allow people to live in their homes for longer but you know let's say 80 is when we start to see people uh downsize uh out of their homes 
that'll start happening. The peak of the baby boomers will will hit that 80 in, in you know, 2030s. And so we'll start to mm-hmm. see sort of in the long run, uh, you know, baby boomers uh, start to sell their homes uh, around that time. And those are homes in prime locations, right? right. Uh, they might need right. some work. But they'll be in in these prime locations, and, and uh, that that'll be new supply added to the market as well. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point because this um, the fact that people are living longer, um, they're living in their homes longer, and I think most times if you see somebody in our business, maybe an economist or somebody that would say. Hey, we need to be careful to, that we're not overbuilding in this country right now um, because we're so undersupplied. You know, overbuilding. Most times, they bring that into the equation. That that is a um, you know sort of pocket of inventory that will come to market in the next five to ten years or whatever that time frame is. Is there any number on what that you know how how many of those homes would come to market? What that looks like because. That's one. That's an argument that's made out there at times. Like if 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 we build too many, and then you know a, a lot of that inventory comes to market, then we we end in a situation where we're overbuilt. We're in such a deficit right now, uh, a deficit that's been in progress for the last ten years. When we look at the number of homes, uh, single family, multifamily, and manufactured homes, so a truly a comprehensive look at supply in our country relative to household formation. We, we see that we were overbuilding relative to demand until about 2008 when the situation reversed and we started to underbuild relative to demand. So we started to whittle away at the surplus that we had built until 2008 until we started to build a deficit. And that deficit has just been growing. And so we need to build at a, at a high and sustained pace for a couple of years to make up that deficit. Uh, I don't have a number for you in terms of how many homes will come to market, but the the homes that will, because of the baby boomers aging out, will be a trickle rather than a flood, right? Yeah, so yeah. imagine, you know, every year we'll get some level of home sales because of these baby boomers aging out. And I think we need to address the immediate need for our country, which is uh, we, there just are not enough homes to meet uh, the demand for them. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. It's It's a fascinating conversation with household formation and and immigration right too there's that aspect to it right we've got a great graphic um that that proves that point at kcm that just shows the number of builds each year and you see visually the dip you know in uh 9 10 11 and we've kind of slowly come back i think last year was the first year in new builds in this country that we had broken above the fifty-year average, uh-huh. uh, and starting to 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 come back from that. I know this, but I'd love to um, hear you share this because you've told me this before. But you're passionate about home ownership. Um, where does that passion come from for you? Like the the economic piece certainly uh, is, is your gift, but where does your passion from home ownership come? So, you know, homeownership is is a quintessential part of the American dream, right? Uh, and it's also a primary driver of wealth creation in our country. Right. The median homeowner has 40 times the the, the wealth of, of, a, of a median renter in this country. Um, my, I've, I've studied economics. Uh, I've studied uh, privatization in school. But I'm also, a, you know, an immigrant to, to the country. And so uh, homeownership has been a bit of, of, a, of a obsession of mine, right? A passion of mine yeah. since I moved to the country. 
and I recognized uh, the 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 uh, all that all that can come from being a homeowner. You've got your fixed payments, of course. You've got um, you know the the generational wealth that is built from from homeownership, the stability that comes with homeownership. And so um, I'm I'm uh, I've been studying it ever since. Obviously, a passion growing up. Studied it in school um, and and continue to do so at my job. Now I appreciate you sharing that. We had had a chance with some of our KCM team to have lunch about a year ago, yeah. and uh, you shared that story, and I it was it just stuck with me because you you, under, you clearly understand the economic piece of it, and and you also have this passion to see um, uh, people become homeowners, and, and you bring up that point of it is the number one wealth builder builder of wealth in this country uh, by far. Um, what do you say to somebody right now? I'm sure this happens. People know what you do, Odetta, that says, should we buy a home right now? What, how do you answer that question? Like, let's say you're somewhere this weekend and somebody says that. How do you answer that question? You know, I say if you're, it's a lifestyle choice first and foremost, right? Before anyone even digs into the financials, you Maybe you and a partner make the decision to to buy a home. You've got a neighborhood picked out, and then you start to look at the financials. So if you are in a, a phase of your life where you're ready to, to buy a home uh, and you find a home that you love, that you can afford, right, that, that payment to paycheck, that monthly payment to paycheck calculation works for you, then it's a good time to buy a home, right? I don't, I don't advocate for timing the market. Um, one thing we didn't talk a lot about is that mortgage rates are notoriously difficult to forecast because they're (laughs) impacted by so many different things, right? They're tied to this 10-year treasury, which is impacted by pandemic and, and, and global, uh, geopolitical events, wars, all sorts of different global factors impact the long end of that yield curve. And so it's very difficult to forecast mortgage rates. And it's very difficult to time the market, right? So if you find a home that you love and you can afford it and you're comfortable with the payment, um, then it's a good time to buy a home for you. And that's that's always my best piece of advice. <laughs> no, that's good. That's really good. I, I love the the point that you brought into of it's incredibly, one, it's incredibly hard to forecast mortgage rates. I think the constant in that is whoever is doing it is going to be wrong. Right? That's right. It's a humbling <laughs> experience, one... <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, um, it's a question that comes up a lot of times if we're talking about mortgage rates is people want to know, how often are people correct in that? And like, well, let's let's not, uh, let's not look at that, but no. <laughs> Um, because it's incredibly hard uh, to, uh, to to forecast what uh, would be coming ahead because of all the, the influences in there. But I think the point of not trying to time the market, but it rather with home ownership, it's time in the market, right? It's, it's, right? it's owning a home. It's owning a home over time because in an inflationary economy, which we've been in, your dollars are the same as the day you bought it, right? Okay. You lock that payment in uh, and uh, and certainly that – means so many things. We've talked a lot about the financial benefits, but the the non-financial benefits of homeownership, of security, of safety, of pride, all the things uh, that matter are critically important. Well, listen, Odette, I I am super grateful uh, for you taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to join us on the podcast. It's been a thrill and want to have you back on as, as you're seeing things uh, in the housing market so that we can just tap into your wisdom uh, and understanding uh, for, for folks listening. Well, thanks so much, David. It was a pleasure. I hope to be back. And thanks for all that you and the KCM team do to inform 
prospective buyers and agents. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for all your work. So thanks for your time. Thank you. That was a great conversation with Odetta. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. And thank you for tuning in to How's the Market. In Keeping Current Matters, we believe every family should feel confident when buying and selling a home. And this podcast is one part of our greater strategy to do that. So if you enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor, share the episode with somebody you think could benefit from it and subscribe to this podcast. And we'll see you next time.